Optimal health for high performers. This is the Health Upgrade Podcast with Dr. Nawaz Habib. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Health Upgrade Podcast. I'm really thrilled with today's uh, conversation with Johnny Dupre. So Johnny Dupre graduated with a bachelor's degree in human development with an emphasis in counseling from California State University, San Marcos. Over the past 15 years, Johnny has accumulated a wide array of knowledge on human behavior, cognition, and social dynamics. It's been his passion and goal to discover the most effective tools and techniques to successfully guide clients to personal transformation as quickly and profoundly as possible. Beginning as a certified hypnotherapist and master practitioner of NLP, he sought to blend the principles of sociology and psychology into a single system for optimizing human health and performance. One of my amazing friends, amazing network connection, and just one of the best conversations I think I've ever had. I've, I've had multiple conversations with Johnny and this one blew me out of the water. I love it. There's so many take-home amazing action steps that anybody can take on. Highly, highly recommend giving this one a thorough listen. And if you need to a second, because it really does dig deep into how we can create the best mindset for upgraded health and upgraded performance on a daily basis. I hope you have a wonderful listen and enjoy this amazing conversation. All right. Welcome, Johnny. How are you, brother? I'm doing very well. Good, sir. How are you? Amazing. Amazing. I'm doing great. Good. Um, I'm really excited about our conversation today. We've been planning this for a little bit. Yeah. Life got in the way and uh, we finally are able to record today. And, and I'm really excited about this because a lot of the work that we did together, the, the chats that we've had have really reflected positively in my life. And a lot of the things that I often stop myself from doing because I say, well, what if this goes wrong or what if something negative happens? I hadn't been thinking about the positive side of that to say, well, what if it does work? And this is something that we had a great conversation about is how to shift your mindset, how to shift your mindset into a very positive, focused, and look at, at the positive options, not just the negative options. And this is mm. something that I want to talk about in regards to how we think about our health, our personal performance, and how we optimize our brain and our, our thought processes to be able to move us forward and actually create progress rather than hold us back. So that's what I'm really excited about today. Let's chat a little bit about what got you into being a charisma coach and, and really pushing the boundaries of, of understanding social interaction. Okay. First off, I've loved, I've loved our conversations. You and I always get into like some seriously deep stuff pretty quickly. And I don't think this is going to be any different for me. I think when it comes to people, I just always knew, even as a, as a young kid, that really the connections that we make within ourselves, our own psychology and the connections we make around us in our, not just in our immediate circles, but our connection to the larger communities of the world are really what define success for, for each of us as individuals. It's how we relate to people, especially since business has so much to do with, you know, just people to people. And of course, our families are people to people. And so everything that defines that is really built on sort of these underlying principles of what allow human beings to connect. And so for me, it was all about, even from a young age, building connections within yourself between ideas and being able to connect concepts 
on a psychological level and then being able to take that and relate that to the people that are around you. And I noticed that because I was a, a born nerd, super geek extraordinaire, loved comic books. I loved Magic the Gathering cards. I was into Dungeons and Dragons. I wasn't exactly the popular kid. And so as I grew up, I, want, I, I wanted to hack and crack the code of what allows people to bond and what allows people to connect. And so that's what I got into really early on was trying to understand myself better and trying to understand people better so that I could, I could get beyond these concepts of the popular crowd and, and being one of the, the members of the in-group. And so that's really where it started for me was, was this concept of is charisma, is your natural presence and your charm and, and your ability to be spontaneous and playful, is that something that is genetically put into you? Like, is, it, is there a, a charisma gene? And then I realized that over time, there's, it's not, it's just a skill set. You know, some people are born with parents who are salesmen, who just understand bonding and, and connecting. And some people are born with parents that are just scientists and introverted and, and have a tendency to be a bit more, I would rather stay home and read a book in front of a fire than go out to a party. And so I wanted to be able to, to, to provide these skills to those individuals who, who need to or want to bridge outside of sort of their family origins, their culture, and, and grow themselves to an, a new level. I absolutely love that because I'm exactly that same type. I was that science-based nerd, uh, finish off like school, get 80s and 90s and make sure that I was like doing really, really well. And same idea, like family taught me and more power to them. I love, I love my family completely, but we definitely were a very introverted kind of stay within ourselves. Don't really branch out type mm. of family, not a lot of business uh, ownership within the family, not a lot of relationships being built externally. And that's something that I, I had to learn as, as I went out and branched out into my business and, and what health upgraded really does is to help create these deep relationships with our clients to make sure that they are able to take those steps to optimize not only their health, but their personal productivity, their, uh, their growth and kind of move forward in there. So that's so crucial for so crucial for success. So yeah. crucial. And understanding that the way we show up and the way we build those relationships really plays such an important role in our own growth and our ability to connect with others and to deepen and broaden those relationships that we're having. Agreed. I couldn't agree more. Your story is really interesting to me, especially the, the dance component. I think that's a really cool part of your story and, and really does underline what is possible when you build out relationships. I'd love to dig into that a little bit. Sure. Um, dance, dance was something that as a, as a kid, I just sort of had a lot of energy. Um, I was one of those kids that just never sat still. I moved around a lot. And so as a result, my mom and dad probably had to find like as many different ways as they possibly could to channel that energy and keep it moving. And so as a result, I, I started dancing and then and just never stopped, you know, from 10 years old, 11 years old on, I just kept dancing, you know, and, and continued it well beyond high school and into an actual professional career. And then I realized somewhere along the way in the professional career that I was letting my health go. And, and what I mean by that is when you get wrapped up in, in sort of that kind of environment of go, 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 push, 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 do a lot of damage to your body. You put your body through a lot. It's high impact. Uh, and so as a result of that, I started to feel some degradation in, in my body at a young age. 
you know, 21, 22, why am I achy all the time? Seven days a week, my body is sore. You know, why can't I get it to do the things that I, that I wanted, to, wanted to get it to do and needed to get it to do to have a good career? So got into yoga, you know, got into yoga and some of these other health practices in order to, to try and bring harmony and balance to not just my body, but realizing the connection it had to my soul. And as a result of that, sort of trying to find a harmony or a fusion of bringing all of those together so that I could maintain a career. Um, now, ultimately, it didn't last. You know, the, the impact was just too much. And, and uh, I was lucky in that most other artists just do their art. Unlike me, I was also fascinated by hypnosis, by neurological linguistic programming or NLP. I was interested in psychology and sociology. And so I had been studying these things sort of on the side. And so when, when my dance career came to its natural conclusion for that, for that phase in, in time, I had so much on the back burner that I had been studying and growing around so that I could just go back to school. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so I had that working for me in order for me to sort of maintain both a, a career in the physical and, and something more career based in the mental and the emotional. And, and, and then the fusion of that being, of course, the spiritual, the spiritual components that, that come into more of a yogic practice. Absolutely. I love how you've brought together the connection between your physical health and your mental health. Mm. And the way that your brain was functioning was very much connected to the way that your body was functioning at that time. And you were able to create that balance using yoga. And I imagine a few other things that were really important mm. in helping to create that balance. Let's talk a little bit about health and kind of that positive mindset in regards to health. I want to talk a little bit about how we can change the way we think and focus our attention on creating optimal health. Okay. Number one, there's a common misconception that I would love to just snap in anybody that's listening right now. And that is most people are raised to believe that for us to resolve something that's going on within us, we need to dig into the problem that we need to understand why our problems exist or where the conflict is and where it came from and all the rest of that stuff, which can be considered a classic myth in psychology. But that's been snapped. And we know due to neuroscience now and, and solution-centered therapy or solution-focused, the solution-focused approach now, that really your brain doesn't operate on the problems that you don't need to really dig into and have catharsis around, you know, what did my mom say to me as a child? And what did my dad do to me in order for me to make evolutionary changes in my own, let's call it psychological makeup, my inner blueprint. Okay? And what we've discovered is that, that if we spent all of the time and energy using our attention on focusing on asking questions about the problem, and instead we turned it towards what we want, I call this developing your desire discipline. And if you focus it on what you actually want, what you're doing is telling your brain to place all of its attentional energy in that direction. Thus creating the kinds of neural pathways that lead to the solution, the, the, the ultimate goal, or what other people would say, keep your eye on the prize. Yes. You know what I mean? So it's, it's when you do that and you focus in on that, now your brain starts to literally rewire itself using neuroplasticity in order to generate a thousand options, 10,000 options on how you can get to that desire. But most people don't actually discipline themselves mentally, psychologically towards a desire long enough for those new neural pathways to fire together long enough to then wire together. 
And then when, once they're wired together, then it becomes autopilot. And now you're focused on the positive more and more and more. And, no, and those individuals who've spent their whole lives sort of focusing on the problems, then look at people who are this optimistic, positive, bubbly, healthy, happy person, and they automatically start making up stories about them that that's not true. They're lying. They're blind. It's blind optimism. You know, they start making up all these stories about that person when neuroscience is clear. That way of thinking is the way to think if you want to be successful, both in your health and for well-being. Yeah. So. No, this, it's exactly what, what I wanted to get into today. And that is the idea of that what you focus on grows. And that's oh, yeah. literally true for the idea of neuroplasticity. If you continue to focus on the problem, the source of the problem, the root of that problem, and all of your attention is spent there, then you continue to fire those same neurons together. You continue to create those same neurological pathways and connections. And in fact, you strengthen those neurological connections and you go deeper and deeper into that negative problem-focused cycle of thinking. And so it does take I love the way you put this. It takes discipline to be able to shift and focus on something new and catch yourself when you go back down that habitual pathway and bring yourself back towards this new positive solution oriented side and to build out this new neurological connection. I, I do believe that there is some value in understanding where that root cause is but I don't think focusing all of our attention on that root cause is ever going to create a very positive solution. And I think that's where we need to now start to put our attention is where do we want to go? What do we want to experience? Do we want to feel positive, healthy, uplifted, and well? And if we do, then that's what we should be focusing our attention on. So that's a, a wonderful, wonderful place for us to kind of take that next step. And neuroplasticity is one of those real proven tools that is not being utilized as well as we really should be on on a mass scale especially for those who are ready and willing to put in the effort that's required well and for me i think it comes down to beliefs if you have this belief structure that you've been raised with which is you know my family's always been poor or we've always had issues with our health or what's the point in trying to fix it because it, it never works out for us these kinds of belief systems are generally come from our parents or from our guardians or, or even our family identity. And as a result of that, we're raised with it. So then we develop our own identity of who we think we are around those core beliefs. So to take those core beliefs and make a change to them and ultimately optimize health and performance, we have to destabilize our self matrix, who we think we are, which is scary. It, you know, like you could feel a sort of quake. It's like, then, then if those core beliefs aren't true, then who am I? And that uncertainty creates anxiety. It's, it's like, wait a minute. I would rather know, I would rather have a known pain, a comfortable suffering, than drift into or move into the, the great unknown. And, and so that's, a, that's what, what I've noticed in a lot of my clients is that that's sort of the first layer we have to get past in order for them to change the story, their, their personal narrative around that. And that for me is what cements in the problem focus, problem focus, problem focus, problem focus. And, and it keeps us chasing our own tail. Do you think that that story that we continue to tell ourselves is how we then create an identity for ourselves? Is that how we 
create that that narrative in our mind of who we truly are it's that story that we tell ourselves yeah actually and i think it's one of the the interesting things is that when i actually started taking therapeutic storytelling courses on how to use stories and how to use metaphors to help facilitate change in people's lives by sharing one of the very first things we worked on was called the story of me and it's and it's like if you if i were to give you five minutes to really present who you are what are the things that would naturally start coming out of your mouth and write it all down and then start to realize that that's actually a story that's at play inside of you 95 to 98% of your thinking is just always there and so every new thought that comes into your space you're running through that filter and you'll due to confirmation bias and due to cognitive dissonance and some premature cognitive commitment, you'll filter out the things that don't align with that story when it could be the very evidence you need, the very thought you're searching for that leads to the neuroplasticity that you'd like to generate in order to come up with that new story. But once you bypass that, once you shortcut it, once you cut it off, okay, and you start a new pathway, if you run it long enough, that will become the new you. And most people, if they look back on their lives right now, when they've made a massive evolutionary change, they're going to find that they changed on, at some level their story of them. So that was the key. Wow. Therapeutic storytelling. What a cool way to think about this. I'd never heard that before. It really goes to show like that, that filter, that lens through which we see the world I recently heard this really great quote, and it was that things don't happen for a reason. Things happen and we assign meaning or we assign a reason to them. And the way to assign that reason is, I believe, now through this lens that we have based on our identity, based on that story that we are telling ourselves. And so we create a meaning saying this was working against me or this was working for me based on that lens, based on that confirmation bias that we've created for ourselves over years and years of being the same person, quote unquote, mm. that we have been in our identity and the story that we tell ourselves. Mm. That really clarifies. And so what a great way to think about and, and to clarify the story that we tell ourselves. Who are you? In five minutes, what is the story of you? I really love that. That's such a wonderful tool. I'm definitely going to be doing that very soon. Check it out. Because oral tradition is probably the oldest way that we in society and in culture have passed down our morals, our ethics, our principles, what we choose to stand for, not stand for, okay, our boundaries. We've passed these down through oral tradition, through story. You yeah. know, in, in ancient, in ancient um, civilizations and tribes, they would speak of their great grandfathers, the, the great grandmothers. They would speak of, you know, they would speak of these, these stories about ancient heroes, about old heroes of the tribe. What they're doing is they're sharing wisdom from one generation to the next through story. Well, it, it seems to me that that's kind of therapeutic. You know, you're, you're almost setting a child up for success by giving them this foundation of, of what the tribe stands for, or what the culture stands for before they need it. So that when, when life challenges them, when an obstacle or a hardship shows up, they're ready to meet it already because the framework is already built inside of them due to these stories. So then they can draw upon those in order to keep their mindset positive. So it's sort of all linked. Totally. And this is where generational trauma or generational 
thought processes come into play at our individual level, where we are, where our kids are, to be able to say, this is who I am, because the stories that we've been told are helping to create that filter, especially early on, I imagine in those first seven years, when we're generally in alpha brainwave patterns, and mm. we're, we're picking up and we're learning. And if we are, as parents, sharing negative emotional trauma or generational trauma that's been there and the, the lens through which we see the world to our kids, then we're creating that next step and, and allowing that, that whatever it is, that identity that we are holding on to, to be passed on to our kids. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. And I think that it takes us back to the exact same thing. It's, the, it's being consciously directed. Okay. There are a lot of, there are a lot of ways that we can let's say, upgrade our mindset in order for us to be able to make these kinds of changes so that we don't carry our ancestral, let's call it ancestral belief systems forward into, our, into the children that, that we're, we're blessed to have in our lives. But there's a lot of other things. There's a lot of, lot of other hacks that we can use. For example, contextual cueing, which is your space where you live, how you choose to spend your time generally is adorned with a lot of art objects, articles that came from your family's lineage and history. But have you brought harmony to your space? Like if you want to be a more peaceful person, how have you taken your space and added things to it that cue you unconsciously to be aimed at peace more? You know, if you've got an object that sits on your desk that has kind of a mixed a mixed association to it. It's yes, it's something that reminds you of your family, but your dad, your dad used to scream at you while holding it in his hand. There, there's a lot of these mixed cues. Sometimes I tell people, I go, listen, we either have to clean up, help you to clean up the way you look at that thing so that that thing can lose those other associations or put it away. If you ever need to go look at it again, you can go look at it. You, you can have it. But for now, let's fill your space with reminders of this desire discipline to be peaceful. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of these little hacks that people can use in order to, to, to continue to keep their eye on the prize. I really like that one because I've read uh, Benjamin Hardy's uh, Willpower Doesn't Work a couple of times. And it goes down to your environment. What is in your environment? What are you allowing into your environment? What are the thoughts that are being sparked by the items that are around you? Uh, whether it comes to health or your performance or your day-to-day -day work, the things that are around you are always speaking to you. There's an energy that's coming off of them. And so if you build out a space that promotes positivity, that promotes growth, that pushes you in a positive direction, then you're going to be allowing that where like you said, if you're holding on to things that might have a mixed signal or something that, that you remember from your childhood that's creating this negative emotion, it tends to hold you back and, and keep you in that negative narrative if you have not done the work to overcome what that narrative was. What a wonderful way to, to put that into practice in, in clearing out the space of things that might be creating that negative emotional energy for you. And not only is that something within your control, but the other thing that I'm noticing people don't do is they don't, for some strange reason, they're not willing to enlist or enroll beautiful souls into their lives to help act as reflections for that change in mindset too. 
Like, I can't tell you how many times I've heard one of my friends complain about the exact same thing over and over and over again. And I look at them and I go, um, professional help. And they go, what? And I go, you've had this health issue for a really long time. Have you sought some real professional help? Somebody who is an expert in that to help support you in making these changes. You know what I mean? And that's why you're such a valuable asset to all of your, to all of your patients and to all of your clients is because you get to act as that educated reflection for them to be able to give them the 20% that they're not doing, that's going to get them the 80% of their results. You know what I mean? And that, that's, for me, that's another really pivotal thing. Contextual cueing is great. Please don't get me wrong. Making sure that your context is inviting the best out of you is really pivotal. But then make sure that you also take into account support systems. You know, there's, a, there's an old concept, I think, that Jim Rohn originally said, which is you become the product of the five people you spend the most time with. And it's because those five people then act as a cue in the context. So they become a part of the context that's cueing you. And if their words, their thoughts, their beliefs, their attitudes are, are still within your old story of me, it becomes much more difficult to break out of that. And that's the problem with love. And almost nobody talks about this. As I go, I know you love your family. I know you love your friends. But you have a bit of a problem. They know you as the old story of you. And they have their own story of them. And the two of you together have the story of your relationship. And I go, if you think it's going to be easy for you to break out of your own story and move into that uncertainty long enough to develop a new success habit, a new way of thinking and believing and acting and moving in the world. And that's going to be a challenge enough as it is within yourself. Now imagine that as you do that, you're creating anxiety in every single relationship you have because you're no longer playing your role in the story of that relationship. So I, I often tell people, I said, one of the most important things you can learn to do is walk away. Mm. And they go, what do you mean? And I go, it's really tough to say this, but if you want evolutionary change, there are going to be people in your life that are not prepared for that. They're just not prepared for you to become that. And you have to be willing to walk away and start over and, and say, I need to fill my life with new, with the, with the kinds of people that are willing to push me. And, and I'm sure you've heard this, Doc, but when it comes to this concept of moving into new crowds, people say, if you're the smartest man in the room or the smartest woman in the room, you're in the wrong room, aka get out of the same spaces you've always been in, find a place where you feel like there's, you're around people who can really challenge you, who can really push you, and then embrace that okay, and walk into it. And so there's a lot of these little hacks. Most people aren't willing to walk away. Grief hurts. Yeah. Loss hurts. But if your family is true to you and they love you, wouldn't they want to see the best for you? Yeah. And if they want to see the best for you, be willing to walk away long enough to become the new you. And then once you're the new you, nothing is preventing you from coming back as the new you and then inviting them from a strong and rooted and grounded place to say to them, join me here now and, and let me help support you in your change, in your, in redeveloping a new story via our new story.
Yeah, creating that new relationship identity, that new story that this is this is really interesting to me because I've gone through this a few times with family, with extended family, with friends, uh, having to kind of change that narrative to be able to step away from who I used to be and become the new version of me and, and kind of upgrading the, the people that you were around, being able to learn from those other ones, but not, not just not forgetting about those other people, eventually making that step back to re-engage in those relationships that you previously had, but giving it long enough to be able to shift that narrative and, and be able to shift the identity of who the two of you were together. So I'll just give you a quick example. As, as you know, my health wasn't great when I was in my 20s. I was 250 pounds, high blood pressure, high blood sugar, borderline diabetic, like all of the health struggles that you could imagine uh, somebody who was not doing very well in university and kind of pushing themselves. And I was that jolly, happy, big guy in university. And me and one of my uh, best friends from university were these two big guys. We used to, everybody used to call us the doppelgangers because we were these two fun, jolly guys. They could always find us hanging out in the UCC right near uh, where all the restaurants were, where everybody could sit and hang out. And we were always just that person. And it was, it was a really difficult thing. But once I left university, me and that friend started to drift apart and we started to create this new narrative for each other. And as time went on, I was able to get my health under control, take care of a lot of the challenges that I was going through. And unfortunately, he wasn't able to at that time. He, he has since gotten much healthier. But there, like that identity that we had together, that relationship and that story that we had about each other needed time apart to be able to change and, and reflect on, on who we were. And then we were able to actually re-engage with each other. Funny enough, working literally across the street from one another uh, just a few years ago that uh, we were able to then reconnect and say, holy crap, like, look at how much you've grown. Look at how much you've, you've been able to do since then. And I, I totally feel that that's one relationship that always, that I'll come back to as being able to step away and then come back to and actually have real positive change that does occur and and knowing that that stepping away probably did us both a lot of good even though it was uncomfortable when it initially happened it wasn't something that we enjoyed right like essentially losing a friend somebody that you he was my roommate we were like best friends we would literally be everywhere together for like three years you couldn't see one of us without the other it was it was almost impossible and then to be able to just step away was was really difficult but uh, in the end, in the long term, it really did help both of us to achieve a lot of really positive things in our lives. The hardest part is I've, I've been on the other side of it. I've been the person that somebody needed to walk away from, you know, in my own journey. You know, I was, I was young and, and we all come to our need for evolution, our need for transcendence, our need for transformation in our own time. And so the hardest part is when you're the one being walked away from because your mindset or the story of you is not contributing to this person's life anymore. And then that feeds into, you know, if you've got stories around rejection, if you've got stories around grief and loss and abandonment and betrayal, and, and then it starts firing off all those things. But when it fires off those, we, I, we call them triggers or other people could call them childhood wounds or, or incongruencies or, you know, whatever you want to call them. When it starts firing that stuff off, one of the biggest things I love about stoicism, I don't know if you know much about stoic principle or stoic practice, is the, this concept of the obstacle is the way, which is most of us want to avoid pain. 
it's, it's hardwired into us. We avoid pain and we approach pleasure. It's, it's one of the root systems within us. But the problem is, is we don't realize that that pain, those pains, those triggers are the very triggers we need to sit with, the very pain we need to sit with long and just long enough to let it inspire us to move towards the solution. You know what I mean? So it's, so we, we avoid the, we kind of attempt to avoid the pain, but we avoid the pain right back into the same story again. And so it's, it's interesting to be able to see both sides of the coin to say there, isn't it weird that within us, we're so happy when we're saying, you know what, I'm strong and I'm powerful and I'm a hero in my story and I'm going to leave my family and I'm going to come back. But then we don't bother to think about us having been that the villain in the story for someone mm-hmm. at some point in time, you know what I mean? And to embrace both sides of that, realizing it's all a journey. And when, and when you can recognize that it leads to, at least in my experience, compassion, not just for others and, and where they're at in their journeys, but within themselves. And I've realized that that is a massive mindset upgrade. Mm-hmm. Most people, most people, at least in my life, compassion meant vulnerability. And vulnerability meant weakness and weakness meant pain. So there was this link and that's not, that's actually the complete opposite. Compassion means vulnerability. And for somebody to be vulnerable, it takes a great deal of inner strength to be strong like that. And so it's just interesting to see all of those different dynamics and to recognize compassion as a superpower. I really love that. And, and I talk about compassion and having compassion for yourself, for those around you. And I want to step back a little bit into that stoicism idea. I really love the book, The Obstacle is the Way, Ryan Holiday's book. The idea that that kind of came to me, or I have this visualization of what stoicism and, and what really is going on is to be able to understand that there is an objective thing that is occurring, right? And what we do is subjectively a meaning or something like that, so that it, it is affecting us in some way. And what stoicism allows us to do is step away from that, take the ego out of the equation, be able to say that this thing is happening. So the visualization that I have is that every single one of us is essentially driving a car. We choose whichever car we want, no big deal, but we're driving our cars on a highway. And sometimes cars will come together. They'll be beside one another. These are two friends. These are relationships, partners. They tend to be driving along the same way. But at some point, and doesn't matter how long that point is, one of those cars needs to take an exit because they have a different destination that they need to get to. And so do you get upset at that car for leaving and going to the destination they need to go? Or do you just continue on on your path, making sure that you're going in the, that exact direction that you need to be going? And you're going to do the same to others. You're going to be close by others and you're going to take an exit to go to a destination of your, your own. And it's objective. We, if we assign meaning to these things where people are together and we create such a strong subjective emotional attachment to being together with one another, it's very difficult to break that. Mm-hmm. And that's where stoicism does its really good work in helping us understand it's an objective thing that is happening and we are the ones assigning meaning. So if we shift the meaning that we are assigning and give it that person is on their path and we're on our path, it, it could be 50 years that we're on the same path together. It could be 50 seconds, right? And it could be as short a relationship or as long a relationship and a connection as, as it could be, but we're all on our own path. 
And I think that's kind of the important thing to, to think of when mm. it comes to staying objective in what's going on around you. Mm. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. For me, I, um, one of the techniques I like to use when it comes to this, this understanding is what's called reason, season, lifetime, which is when a, a friendship or a relationship naturally comes to its end. I actually take a moment in my meditation or when I'm journaling or, or you know, having some alone time. And I'll ask myself, what was the reason that this person came into my life? There was a reason for it. You know, and I, and I search for the reason within me. And then I recognize that, that a season is just the amount of time we got to be together. And that season could be, that season could be five seconds, 10 seconds. I was at the, at the grocery store the other day and this little boy was standing maybe probably four or five feet behind me, right? He probably should have been standing at six, but anyway, <laughs> um, four or five feet behind me, right? And he just looked at me and his eyes locked in, in mine. And I could see his smile behind his mask. And for five seconds, I just couldn't take my eyes away from him. We were just having a moment together, one soul to another soul. Okay. And, and I smiled back at him and that was that. And, and I mean, I'm likely never going to see him again for the season we had together. It was five seconds, 10 seconds, but then I've had seasons like relationships with people that were eight, nine, 10 years. And then they just naturally came to their conclusion. And so once I understand the reason that there was a relationship or a connection there, and I can recognize the season, how much time was spent there, then I can ask what I get to carry with me that will last me a lifetime. And so I, I just always consider this reason, season, lifetime. That. And that, that's what I keep in my brain when it, when it comes to um, watching another car exit the off-ramp. Love it. That's such a wonderful thing. Like what, what is the lesson? What is, what did that person contribute to my life? What did I contribute to their life? And, and understand that there was in, in the vast majority of these connections, a very positive lesson to be learned and something to take from that interaction that you had, whether that interaction was all of five seconds or many, many years. And, and that there was something that that person provided to you. And there was something that you provided to that other person. But natural progression and objective reasoning, understanding that now it's time for the next thing to occur. And they may come back. You may merge again onto the same highway and continue on, mm. on that path. And that could occur, but not taking on negative meaning and negative association when it does end up splitting or when, yep. when they do end up going off on their own path or you do the same. And a lot of that, a lot of that doc has happened with this pandemic. You know, there's a lot of really, really hard stuff going on right now. A lot of people are, a lot of people are having to face a lot of harsh truths. The economy is in, is in a really, really bad way. And people are forced to find the kinds of connections that are ultimately the, the most supportive right now. And they're attending to those because there isn't as much, let's call it freedom to move around. There isn't as much freedom with business. There isn't as many choices available to us. And so a lot of people are having to say goodbye. They're, you know, like, I've got to go take care of this thing. I've got to go do this thing. I'm sorry, but my family has to be my main central focus right now because my kids are at home and they're, you know, they're homeschooling all day long. And it, as much as I would love to go out, you know, and, and drink with you or have a, you know, have a, have a nice night or something like that. I, I got to do the most responsible thing for me. And so not only do we end up creating these separations, some are not by choice. Yeah. Some it's like life, life sort of comes at you. And so for me, that takes us back to stoic ideology too, which is yes, there, there's the separation of me identifying what's, what's the story I'm adding 
to this experience. One of the, the precepts, at least of, of Stoic ideology that I spend a great deal of time sitting with is this concept of what I can and can't control, which is huge in Stoic writings. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, can, you know, when a pandemic comes up, how much suffering are people having right now attempting to control something that is ultimately outside of their control? And there's so much, let's call it emotional angst and psychic energy being given to something that, that you can't ultimately do anything about. And that's really, from at least with my clients right now, what I'm spending a great deal of my time talking to them about is they're trying to find a way to control as much of their life as they possibly can. And so they stay awake at night worrying because they're attempting to think through what can I, what could I control in this? How can I influence this? How can I guide this? As opposed to coming back into themselves again and saying, let's start with the foundation in me. Yeah. Being with what I can affect and then letting everything else come secondary to that yeah. and, and accept that there are certain things that I'm going to just need to flow with and let it be yeah. instead of struggle or resist or fight, which are all sort of negative, negative states. You know, the, this is a mindset downgrade. It's, it's not an upgrade. So that's been something I've noticed a lot lately. The idea of control comes up in, in so many of these challenges that people have, whether it's, it's emotional, mindset-based, even health-based, right? Like when it comes to being able to control your environment for losing weight or overcoming dietary restrictions or some of the challenges that we have we're oftentimes just not willing to give up control. And I think the pandemic has created this very negative emotional attachment for a lot of people because they've lost what they felt like they had control over before. And there's that shift. How do I control these things? How do I control these things differently? And a lot of people, unfortunately, health struggles, mental health struggles have come up so much more. This is why anxiety and, and mental health struggles have gone through the roof over the past year. It, it, just absolutely insane if you actually look at the numbers. So really important places to understand what you can control about yourself, about your decisions, about what you are putting out into the world and, and what you are doing on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, especially around what I, what I call the big three which is your opinions, your thinking, and your actions. These are within your control. Yeah. And anything outside of that, you can't control how people are going to react to it. Well, you can't control um, the government, the government's choices. You, you can vote, you know what I mean? You can put your vote in, but ultimately you're, you're sort of at the whim of, of the populace. You know what I mean? So it's, it's a real test for people. We've lived in, I know that there's, there's been challenges over the years, but we've lived in kind of a really open, relatively, by the way, relatively peaceful, relatively seamless space in the West. And with this pandemic, I'm listening to people talk and I'm going, can you imagine if we had grown up in, in you know, like some, some of these warring African nations or in some of these other places in the world. I'm like, we really took for granted these freedoms that we just, we were never challenged around. Yeah. And the pandemic is sort of an enemy we can't fight. And so it's, it's, it's easy to blame 
oh, he did this to me and that's what's causing my turmoil and my anxiety and all the rest of this stuff or my, or my degradation, my breakdown. But now what do you do? Yell at a virus? Yeah. It's, you know what I mean? And so people are coming face to face with this, let's call it helplessness or, or powerlessness. And that right there is where our deep daily practices become so pivotal because the virus is chaos. But what we can do within us is generate order. And our daily disciplines, our, our contextual cues, all the stuff that we've discussed here, they all become the order that we can create out of the chaos. Most people don't, don't even know how to start that because they haven't practiced discipline before. Exactly. And, and I think a, a, an important place to help to create that discipline is to start with creating boundaries of where, what you're allowing in and what you're allowing out. And understanding that the thoughts, the uh, opinions, the thoughts, and the stories that you're telling yourself are what create those boundaries. So what are some practices that people can do to help to build out some of those boundaries and, and allow a space for discipline to actually take hold and to actually be able to build out some of those positive changes? Oh, good question. The very first thing is become aware of them. And the way that the way that I prefer to tell people to become aware of them is for them to be, to be paying attention to their emotions. Your emotions in my in my practice in my ideology is the way that your unconscious mind. One of the ways your unconscious mind communicates with your conscious mind, because your conscious mind can think anything it wants. But if your emotions come up, and they're they're not in alignment with what it is you think you're thinking, it's not what you're actually thinking. It's what you think you're thinking then these two things clash and you go, wait a minute, doesn't make any sense to me. I am a peaceful person, but every time somebody cuts in front of me in, in traffic, I scream like a madman. You know what I mean? So there's, there's a conflict here. The, the screaming like a madman for me is always the truth. The, the other thing is your conscious mind and your conscious mind has the ability to tell itself any story that it wants. Okay. But your, your emotions are really your truth. So I tell people that the very first thing you need to do is become aware of your own emotions. Specifically one emotion, anger, because anger is all about violating boundaries. So if you get angry about something, that is a boundary that someone has violated. They have crossed over that boundary, whether you were aware of it or not. And that has led to anger and it's many derivatives. Yeah, furious, uh, enraged, mad, pissed off. Okay. The many different derivatives of anger, frustration, annoyance. Okay. These are all sort of anger subsets. Okay, but they all have to do with boundaries. So if I tell people to pay attention to where they get angry, okay, then suddenly they go, I had no idea there was a boundary there. And I go, yes, what did they do, say, or imply that caused this in you? Yeah. And then, I, then the second step is, what did you make that mean? So you ask yourself the second question of when they stepped over this boundary, what did you make that mean? And when you can dissect that and write it out, well, I made that mean that they don't, that they're rude or that they don't like me or that they, whatever. Now you're becoming aware of that boundary. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then after writing it all down and having it clear in front of you, this is key. Don't just think the thought, write it down. And here's why our thoughts move very quickly and they're a labyrinth in there. It moves so fast, it's hard to get a hold of them. 
when you go from your mind down into your hand, kinesthetically writing a thought out, you're giving it solidity. You're giving it clarity. Thus, the beginning of establishing a boundary. You need to make it solid. You need to look at it and understand it. Okay, so step one, become aware. Step two, what am I making that mean? Step three, what's not okay with me about that? What's not okay with me about that? Hmm. Okay, and then four would be learning to, and this is, there's like 15 steps after this, learning to communicate that boundary. Most people don't know how to communicate their boundary in a healthy way. So it comes out like anger and we're screaming now. And, and screaming is not a great way to have the other person honor your boundary because now as you're screaming, you're likely stepping over a boundary of theirs. So now you're warring nations sitting there lobbing cannonballs at each other instead of going, wait a minute, we've been allies for 200 years. What's going on here? And all because the two of you never came together to define what the boundary line was for the citizens of your kingdom. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that you could, you could establish that in a healthy way. Wow. So, so strong, so beautifully said. And I think something that's really important here is understanding how specific those words were that you chose to speak about. What am I making this mean? Applying awareness and then what am I making this mean? Asking yourself that question in those specific words, not what does this mean? Because you're then implying that that meaning is all encompassing. Outside of you. It's an absolute truth. Exactly. And there's no absoluteness in a meaning. It's meaning is applied by us, right? Things happen objectively, but we are applying that meaning. So what am I making that mean? It's, it's so specific and so purposeful in the way that you're using those words. So when you do do this practice, and I highly recommend that you do, because I'm going to be doing it myself, 100% think about the words that you're using there and the importance of language and understanding that the words that we're using imply and create that mindset and actually shift towards that neuroplasticity and, and actually create those same connections, either allowing us to go down that same negative pathway or shifting us to a very positive solution-oriented pathway that we want to go down using those right words and understanding what the meaning that we are creating for the objective event that occurred. Yeah. And, and there's, a, there's a final thing that, that, that seems so important to include right now, which is unless you take time to actually sit down and understand these boundaries and be purposeful with your desire discipline, unless you're willing to walk away and let go. It's very difficult to live authentically because there is a conflict going on inside of you between these different versions of you and your lack of awareness around it. So there's a, there's a really amazing company that I've been working with lately called LISBA, L-I-S-B-A, which stands for Life is Short, Be Authentic. And it's one of the best mindset upgrades that I've seen is, is most people don't realize how much time, effort, and energy goes into us attempting to be all of these different versions of ourselves everywhere and instead get clear about all these boundaries, make them solid, communicate them with love, and focus on what virtues that you value. For example, I happen to value excellence 
in a really big way. Like I'm always striving to find the next best version of me, the next, the next evolution in, in a technique I'm using to help support my clients. I'm always looking for a better way to bond with the people that I love and care for. So if excellence is one of my virtues, it's going to be very tough for me to be around people who settle who just don't care to evolve or grow. It's going to be tough for me to be there. So can I authentically say to them, I want to continue being your friend? Am I even aware that virtue matters to me? And of course, that virtue leads to the setting of a boundary. You know, I like excellence. I want to be around people that are excellent. I want to be around people that strive. So therefore, there's my boundary. It's like, I love you. I wish the best for you. I, I, I hope that you find your way through the world in whichever way you want to connect most with people. And I got to go, you know, or the, 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 those are my boundaries. And so for me, the, the, the ultimate hack is to, is to align, bring into alignment your authentic self by being around people who are practicing being authentic. And so that's, that's a crucial thing, at least for me, in really optimizing one's life for peak performance and for ultimate health. I mean, because I know how, how authenticity plays so, so big with you. Yeah. You know, not everybody's like that, but it's a, it's a beautiful quality about you. This may be my favorite conversation of all time. Johnny, I, I love everything that you do. I love uh, all the work that you've put into the world and, and all the positivity that you bring to every conversation that you have. I'm going to put up links for where people can find you. But if, you're, if anybody's interested, anybody who's listening, please look up Johnny at yourcharismacoach.com or processyourpotential.com. Highly, highly recommend connecting with Johnny, looking into some of his work, some of his amazing YouTube videos how to connect with people, deepen relationships, understand who you are, creating clarity in your own life and really taking steps to become an authentic, excellent version of you. I, I want to thank you so much again for this wonderful, wonderful conversation. Thanks again. Any last words from you? Yes, actually. The, the, the final thought I would like to share with everybody that's listening today is, is that you're on a journey. And no hero's journey ever began with the words and everything was perfect. So just continue on your journey and, and recognize that, that all things are capable of changing. It's wonderful. Thank Great you words. so much, Doc, for having me today. It's, a, it's such a pleasure. I always love our conversations and I'm excited to continue this on. I'm sure in a future episode, we will definitely keep this going. I look forward uh, to it. Amazing. So if you're interested in looking up more about Johnny and everything that he does, go to yourcharismacoach.com, processyourpotential.com, or even on Facebook, you can look him up, Your Charisma Coach as well. All right, guys. Thanks again, Johnny, and enjoy this wonderful conversation. Listen to it again, share it with anybody that needs to hear it, and uh, have yourself an upgraded day. 